0: A recent report from Crunchbase.com has the following headline Untapped Opportunity Minority Founders Still Being Overlooked. This article is written by Marianne Asvedizo, February 27, 2019. She states the following Maybe the VC community is tired of hearing about it. Certainly, there are plenty of people who are tired of dealing with it. And yet, the funding landscape for minority and women owned startups continues to underwhelm. I wanted to bring on someone who is in the middle of launching their company to help underserved founders be able to find the capital that they need. This show is dedicated to those founders and those looking for the capital necessary to launch their dreams. I'm DJ Motry of Black Equity Network, and this is the Black Equity Podcast. We are here for another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. Uh, A few weeks ago, I came across a lot of information that was talking about uh, Milwaukee and living in Milwaukee, investing in Milwaukee, and how uh, for many people of color, many people that are Black, it's difficult to gain access to capital or gain access to resources. And so uh, lucky for us, we're able to actually talk with a company who has a mission uh, rooted in uh, taking care of underrepresented founders. And so on the line, we have Forrest Richter of Uncrowd. Uh, Forrest, are you there? Uh, I am here. Welcome to the Black Equity Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation. I appreciate it.
0: You're very welcome. So just tell us a little bit about you, and then also uh, let us know about your company.
1: Sure. So I am, uh, I was kind of brought up in a suburb outside of Milwaukee. Uh, I went to college up in Minneapolis and then after college I've been back in Milwaukee since then so which would have been for about a decade now and, and in that time I've mostly traveled between operations and marketing roles, um, Run ran operations at a, a pretty large startup here, moved to another startup and now I'm kind of doing my own thing and trying to launch my own my own stuff which is going to be um, uncrowd.io, which we're, we'll talk about a little bit, but really trying to bring more, um, more VC dollars in particular, but more resources to underrepresented founders.
0: I love it. I love it. So how did you get into that space as far as uh, bringing the necessary uh, funding uh, in, in general? Not just not just underrepresented founders, but even wanting to get into that space overall.
1: Yeah, I it came from me fundamentally being an operations person first, which is really at its core, all about kind of streamlining efficiency, and looking for ways that you can do things better. And so I was not brought up in the startup world, I kind of came up in a traditional corporate job, and had moved to startups when I was probably like 28 or 29. And, um, and was watching our company go through fundraising, um, the company I was with at the time. And. I could not believe how inefficient the, the process was. And to give you a sense of kind of the scale of this business I was at, we were a subscription company and we had, you know, our metrics were good. We were growing 5% at least month over month. We had um, over a, a million dollars um, monthly recurring revenue, uh, 20,000 plus uh, subscribers and we had essentially capped out in milwaukee um we had everyone who was going to invest in us had everyone who we, we talked to all the people that could and we needed to kind of look outside of milwaukee and i could not believe how weird and hard it was for us to get meetings like our metrics were, were solid and still our process for finding investment was essentially googling investors in like vc VCs Boston, if we knew we were going to be in Boston, for example. And then from there, kind of going on LinkedIn and seeing who we knew from connections that could connect us with the the person that can make the intro. And then hopefully that person holds the meeting. And I just could not believe. And then even, I guess, at the point when you start to get some traction with an investor to still see how slow everything moves. And when you're a startup, like you're desperate to get that funding. You need those dollars to move forward. And so it just didn't make sense to me. Like I thought there had to be something that we were doing that was wrong. Like there was some inefficiency that we were stepping on. And so that's what really got me to kind of drive into research into VC at large and and started to learn about kind of this industry. And, And it's not, it's not like we were doing something odd. It's just that the existing ecosystem is odd. I don't have a better way to put it as an operations mm-hmm. person. It's slow. It's inefficient. It's network-based. It's who do you know that can get you in the room and can you shake hands and can you speak the language?
0: So for those that are listening, they may not be familiar. You know, We've, we've both said uh, the word VC a, a couple of times. What is VC uh, for those who aren't familiar? Yeah, great question. Sorry. There's a...
1: <laughs> in this... In my, in my world, there are a lot of acronyms. Um, VC, is, VC is venture capital. And, and, mm-hmm. and essentially with venture capital, what the goal is, is to make an investment that is, frankly, the kind of go-to number is that you're going to see 10 times your return, that mm-hmm. you're investing in somebody and that that business is going to grow to 10 times the size it is right now. And, and so a lot of these dollars are speculative, um, early, particularly early on. And, and it's the hope that you're going to kind of hit a home run. Um, uh, a traditional VC firm will see something like a, a success rate. If they make 10 investments, they'll be looking for one, one investment will actually really hit. Maybe two or three will end up successful, but not at the level they need. And then probably 60% won't make it at all. And they, they won't work out. So your goal really is every single investment you make as a VC investor is that it's going to pay back the entire fund and everyone's going to make money on that one single investment. So you're really looking for big swings. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the, the investment style. This type of investment is really what's driven the tech boom. It's everything when you hear about investment coming out of San Francisco. like that, That's all kind of, those are all venture capital dollars driving that.
0: Now, when someone is a venture capitalist, what type of, uh, I understand they're looking for a 10x return. What type of uh equity are they looking for in exchange? Can that vary, or how how does that look at when you're a VC uh, investor?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So usually, most VC firms have some kind of investor thesis, and, and it's usually there's a question of you know what kind of size checks do you write what type of return do you need? So what type of equity, what volume of equity are you looking to achieve? take from a company? And then what type of kind of industry or sector are you investing in? All of these kind of come into play together. Um, and and there isn't necessarily a one-size-fits-all answer here, um, okay. but there is, you will see, I'm trying to think of, well, one of the things that's particularly interesting as we kind of touch on this is the valuation themselves. There is a lot of times an incentive or at least a push for companies to get overvalued, even by the VCs themselves to kind of make the investment look bigger than it needs to be. And so that's something that a lot of founders get kind of caught up in is the the size. And I use that in quotes, which you can't see because it's audio, but Mm -hmm. the size of their business mattering more but essentially all that does is kind of put extra pressure on founders i had a a ceo that was really smart about this and was we actually we were receiving offers for 10 million dollars in investment and he was insistent that he really only wanted five. he was like look i i don't need to be bigger than that and i don't want to have to be held to a standard to return on a 10 million dollar investment i can return on a 5 million dollar investment i don't care to look big I know what we actually are and what we can do. And that was a really good learning experience for me about company
0: valuation and how to kind of avoid inflating that valuation. And when we're looking at a a potential 10X return, uh, if you have the 5 million, then we're only looking at 50 uh, 50 million in return. But with $10 million, okay, now I'm looking at 100 million that I have to return. And that's a huge gap
1: uh, between
0: the two. And it's really fun. It's really fun to
1: strut around the town and talk about how your business is valued at $20 But the reality is when you start getting into that space and you have investors and you have a fiduciary responsibility to return that money for those investors, you're talking about people's real dollars. It can put a ton of pressure on a startup.
0: Right. Now, I still want to keep introducing people to this concept. So with a VC, are you... Are you putting your own money into this? Are you, where where is this money coming from? Uh, as a venture capitalist, where where are you receiving this capital
1: from? So there's there are people that are going to be way better at explaining this than me. But there's generally general partners and limited partners, GPs and LPs. And so general partners are the people that actually work for the fund, and and the traditional model for a VC is twenty and two, so. of, so basically there's 2% operating cost for all the money that's brought into the fund. And then a 20% return on 20% of the return after the initial investments paid out goes back to the fund itself and the people that manage the fund. So the general partners are the ones that are making the actual decisions of where the investment's going. The LPs are the people that are putting the money into the fund. So as, okay. as a GP, you're essentially selling your ability to find these diamonds in the rough, to make smart decisions, to make smart investments, that you're the type of person that can guide someone else's dollars to that 10x return. I love it.
0: And I thank you for sharing that, because I really wanted people to get uh, somewhat of a foundation. Okay, what is it we're really talking about here? Yeah. So you, you're launching Uncrowd. And the goal is well, let's focus on uh, funding underrepresented uh, founders. Yes. So why why choose that goal? And I know people have seen uh, the cover of this uh, of this particular episode. There's no no mistaking you you're not black. No, you're I'm not, not. Nope you you are a white man. Correct. We, yes. we don't want to hide nothing. Nope.
1: There's nothing hidden here. Me and my co-founders were both white.
0: Okay, so why reach out to black equity? Why work with underrepresented um, uh, founders? Why? I, I just I'll throw the word out there. Why?
1: Yeah. So it, it's a it's it's a long story, and it starts with it starts at that point when I first started doing research um, into this VC ecosystem because I just didn't understand the process, and as I dug into the process of venture capital, I started to see this pretty at first anecdotal um, sense of just homogeneity. Everything's kind of the same. I found myself talking to the same types of people and those people almost always were older white guys. Um, and then when I started to dig a little deeper into this, it is, it is a an industry where the demographic data is really, really ugly, like very ugly. Um, there is, It it fundamentally venture capital in 2019 mostly exists in four areas of the country. It's San Francisco, Silicon Valley, it's New York, it's LA and Boston. And, and that represents those four cities represent, I think the most recent figure I saw was like 78% of all venture capital dollars. Um, So it's substantial. And then beyond that, when you start looking at that, who is actually getting those dollars, it is overwhelmingly white males. It is, so founder ethnicity is roughly 77% white. Um, Beyond that, women, so capital um, deals, female founders get 6.8% of deals. And they're looking at the actual capital invested is roughly half of that. So 3.2%. So not only are women getting such a substantially lower part of deals, they're also getting less dollars per deal. Um, When you start talking about kind of the flip side, just the non-white population, if you talk about black or Latinx founders, we're talking about less than 4% of of dollars going to, to that group specifically. And if you, and frankly, there is barely any data on, lgbt founders um so there's just this huge gap in who is getting dollars it's it's the way that i usually say it is it's mostly white dudes on the coasts
0: and why do you think that is i think you mentioned earlier about the kind of the older model where people are only sticking with who they know do you think that's the overall reason for that or do you think there's something else deeper yeah i fundamentally
1: I have not met anyone in this space. That's a bad actor. And, and I have not met anyone in this space that is not in it to try to make money. Their, their goal is to make money. And usually making money is kind of money wins, regardless of kind of who is making the money, right? So I, I do think the institution of venture capital, the way that venture capital is done is what's driving this. I think it becomes insular, I think you're talking about really large dollars. So I think you end up trusting people that you've trusted before. And I think people's immediate network tends to often look like them. And so, and I think that becomes a cycle that becomes easier and stable. Like if I think about it, just from like a practical standpoint, if I am an older white guy who has been successful, and so I'm an older white rich guy in San Francisco, I probably knew some other older white people and they have money and they've made smart investments and they've made recommendations. And so I think that that's how I I just genuinely think that that's how the process goes. And I've seen this Mm -hmm. more domestic too. Like the way that we would get meetings was very rarely based on our merit. It was a lot more based on, did we have someone that they trusted the person we were trying to pitch to trusted enough to say, it's worth your time to go through this. I think when you're talking about large dollar volume, there are a lot of bad actors on the founder side. There are a lot of people who see that as an opportunity to try to get free money. I use free in quotes again, too. But essentially, there's a lot of people out there trying to pitch stuff that just doesn't make sense or isn't isn't a good use of a a VC investor's time. And so I think it creates this homogenous ecosystem that over time has gotten, honestly, pretty ugly as far as who's actually involved in it
0: so why you see you see the landscape why focus on women why focus on uh black americans why focus on latinx why focus on lgbt community you, you could just do it what the norm is and you know blend in with what what's already happening why stand out and say and stand on top of the mountain and say hey this is what we're going to do and we're going to do it in Milwaukee.
1: Yeah. I I think the reason is, well, so this Uncrowd.io is kind of the third iteration of this for me. As I started looking at this and thinking about how can I be involved in this? How can I improve it? And, and, and again, I'm not going to dance around it. How can I make money from it? And, and so my first thought was, you know what? I'm just going to start a fund. I'm going I'm to start a fund and I'm going to invest in all these totally investable people that are not getting funded right now. It makes perfect sense. I, if I can get my own money, if I can raise, raise enough funds, I can push it out to these founders. It is obvious to anyone who's just even looking at the data at a high level that there are founders that should be getting funded that aren't and And so that was my that was my first goal, and then I realized that raising millions of dollars is not as easy as it sounds, so I, I I slid away from that and actually, this is something good for just your listeners to understand as we talk about venture capital. It also is not particularly lucrative at a small scale, so even like a ten million dollar fund, you don't have a ton of operating expense to to really make that last over the life cycle of that fund so it's not as profitable when you're talking about lower millions of dollars. When you start getting to, like, we're, when it starts making a ton of money, like a micro fund in 2019 would could still be $100 million, for example. And I just do mm-hmm. not, that's not in my network to raise that money. So the next version I thought of was, you know what, so how do I figure this out? I, I thought about doing a remote um, accelerator incubator type thing where I, I would, Instead of being, you could be anywhere located. You could be located anywhere in America. We do it remote and we would focus exclusively on these underrepresented founders and help them get off the ground. And we do it really cheap. We would take equity from them in order to get it going. And I got this idea pretty far down the road before uh, somebody really smart um, from the WEDIC, which is the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation. They have some money set aside specifically for incubators and accelerators. And I was talking to them about this and, um, and he basically said to me, he said, Forrest, you can do this, but there's a ton of people in this space doing this already. And if you really want to help this, if this is an issue you care about, nobody's doing the connection. The connection is still the issue. There's a lot of isolated siloed, mo- siloed groups trying to fight this same issue, but somebody needs to bring them together. And you could do a lot more good if you try to figure that out. And so that's really where Uncrowd.io was born from, was leaving that conversation and feeling like there was a bigger version of this. If we could kind of subvert the existing introduction-focused ecosystem for venture capital, if there was a way to bring founders together and bring investors together, that this could happen and this could work. And, and fundamentally, this is not a charity. Like this is, this is a money-making venture for me. This is not something I think, I do think this is one of the rare times in life where the social good overlaps heavily with the economic good. But the, Mm -hmm. but the reality of it is I want investors to invest in these underrepresented founders because it's financially lucrative for them to do so. I believe like if if you're a founder who's not getting money right now, and even if you deserve money, and, you, and a lot of them do, the reality is if, the, if, the, if it means that you can buy more of their company for the same amount of investment that you would have made in a, a, a white founder in San Francisco, but instead this is a black woman in Montana, she's going to want that funding either way. And, you're st- and it's going to make it easier for you to kind of make your money back if, or if you're getting more of the company or hypothetically investing less total dollars to get the same percentage that you would normally get as part of your investor thesis. And so right now, somebody needs to make these connections and, and introduce all these founders to investors and make it really easy for investors to find underrepresented founders and say yes to this. And I believe Uncrowd can do that.
0: I love it. So it's the idea of building an ecosystem that uh, allows uh, for matchmaking in, in, a, in a way.
1: It is, it, it is. a Technologically, it's a really simple platform. It's a two-sided funnel. On one side, I'm loading up, well, I will be soon loading up with underrepresented founders and saying, hey, come here. Stop shouting. Stop trying to make the connection. Stop trying to network into a place that maybe will work and maybe won't. Put, your, put all your information here on Uncrowd. On the other side, I'm connecting with incubators, accelerators, and investors. And I'm saying, look, you've been blaming deal flow forever. You've been saying the reason that underrepresentation, that this diversity problem exists is a deal flow problem. I'm making deal flow really easy for you. Here are the founders. Here they are. This is not to replace your existing deal flow. I'm not saying what you're doing doesn't work. I'm just saying I have a compliment for you. I have something else you can add in That's going to help you find people you wouldn't have found otherwise that you currently aren't finding. You're
0: overlooking them and they deserve to be invested in. And so uh, by by, you know, going in this direction, what has been your uh, experience? Have investors said, wow, that's a really great idea. I want to, you know, I would love for something to be curated and streamlined for me. And what are founders saying? Or founders saying, well, it's about time, you know, where has yeah. this been all my life? What, Found- what, are you, what are you hearing?
1: Founders are excited. Founders are really excited because this system's really, the, the existing system's tough on founders. It ends up taking a lot of time away from your business. Typically, fundraising is not in the core competency of a, of a startup founder. It's it's an it's its own skill set and it at, at least in the current version, it requires its own vocabulary. It you need to know how to build pitch decks. And in addition to knowing how to build pitch decks, you need to know how to build effective pitch decks and who you're taught. And, and it's just it's all kinds of different stuff that's not really aligned with the business itself. In addition to that, it pulls you away from the business itself to focus on this. So founders are super psyched. Founders are like, finally, this is great. There's a place that I can do this. Hopefully it works. Um, investors are skeptical. Investors are real skeptical. They, the, the ecosystem for them is not broken. I'm, I'm not coming to them and fixing a problem that they have. I'm telling them that there's an opportunity, but I'm not solving something for them. Um, I hope that at some point they realize I am solving something, but I'm, I'm still selling that argument. So right now the, the messaging for me is really like, try it, please try it. Come check it out, do it. Um, but. I don't think it will take many successes before I can change that messaging a little bit. And I can instead say, you don't need to try it. It doesn't matter. But your, your competitors are. Your competitors are already winning. Your competitors are finding businesses that you're not. Your competitors are finding founders that you're not finding because you're choosing not to. Um, and, and I'm hoping that that, that that message from me will resonate. A part to this that's particularly tricky and this comes back to when we were talking about the structure of venture capitalism in general and the the individual funds is those gps are selling their ability to find these diamonds in the rough and so part of that sales pitch and a lot of times particularly at much larger firms but a lot of times that's proprietary deal flow that's saying i have tricks i have algorithms i have data that my competitors don't have. Give me your money because I'm more effective at finding it. And so Uncrowd inherently kind of threatens that. Uncrowd says, here's a thing that everyone has access to. And so you kind of lose that proprietary deal flow piece. And, And so I really don't see Uncrowd ever replacing anybody's proprietary deal flow. I just see it complimenting it. It's a really a top of funnel game. It's a, let's get more potential conversations. Let's get you in front of more people. Let's get you talking to people that right now are being
0: overlooked. And so, so for the investors, and I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing, but so for the investors, it's not even really about, well, let me invest in underrepresented founders for them. It's let me get really great deals. And Oh, by the way, Uh, they just happen to be underrepresented founders. Uh, the, The underrepresented founders is really more on your side of creating opportunities that other people are missing. But for the investors, they really just want a really great deal.
1: That's exactly right. This is from, and this is, you're starting to see this a little bit. There's a little bit of a, a move away from the coast just because it's expensive. It's expensive. It's mm-hmm. So this is like a, this is bargain. Essentially this is bargain venture capital. This is letting your dollars go further. This is a smart way to push your money into equally qualified businesses.
0: Now, when you say bargain, why is, why is it a bargain compared to those other four markets? What What is it about the other four markets that cause cause those to be, premium as compared to other markets around the United States? Um, well, so some of it, it's less premium. It's more oversaturation.
1: It's that everyone, okay. everyone's there. That, that's where it is. And so if you are, and I'm going to use somebody big and very VC focused as an example. If you're Uber, for example, you're mm-hmm. having, and you are a VC, you're, you're actually competing to invest in Uber. And Uber is saying like, the, Uber is able to quickly talk to everybody. And that's not a problem. But if Uber was spun out of middle America, and there wasn't that network to make it known, the business fundamentally doesn't change. The business is exactly the same. It's just who's all there to invest. And so if an investor had theoretically stumbled upon Uber in middle America, and Uber was saying, hey, I'm struggling to do marketing this month, my runway is only a few months out. And they come in and they say, "Cool, I'll invest," and you can buy just a greater percentage of
0: Uber at that early stage because you're not fighting with everybody else. I see. There's there's more uh, space and opportunity uh, to get get in instead of there being a uh, hundred investors trying to bite at this company. Maybe it's only four or five, and those four or five can get bigger chunks of the investment as, as opposed to. Uh, 100 people trying trying to take that same piece of the pie am i understanding that correctly (laughs) exactly right awesome wow and so uh the founders that are working with you they're seeing this as as a great opportunity because on their side uh is bringing the necessary capital that they've always been looking for all this time
1: yeah essentially i'm taking the marketing or some marketing off their plate i i'm i'm it's my job to find them investors. If my platform's successful, I'm the one finding the investor for them. And that and that has real, I mean, very, very real ROI. So that is, so, so it's, it's very founder friendly. That's a big important piece to me is just making this founder friendly, particularly in working with underrepresented founders too, who are already just dealing with such a disadvantage in this ecosystem. So the, the product itself is free to founders forever. Please come sign up. If you're a founder, please do. Um, the, the customer is the VC. That's who, that's how I make my money is I charge VCs for access to these founders.
0: I was going to ask, are you also investing in, uh, these opportunities as well? Or, uh, are you simply bringing that connection? Does it stop there? Or do you also say, Hey, well, this is a really great, uh, opportunity. Let me invest in that uh, along with the other investors.
1: Um, the short answer is no, we're not doing any investment ourselves right now. Um, okay. long-term we plan to, um, we see it as a, a, well, right now the investor sourcing ecosystem, which is kind of, kind of within this space, but just even like, how do you founders connect with investors? It's very disorganized. Um, so like our competitors in this space and I use that term loosely are things like angel which is kind of fundamentally a job board first. Um, there's mm-hmm. some really large analytics pieces so like Crunchbase or pitch book is a lot of times used for deal flow here again it's almost a little over the top for a top of funnel it's pretty it gets pretty granular um gust is one you hear often and gust is really a financial document processor but it ends up being a, a point of connection because It just happens to be where investors and startups are both interacting, but it's tough to be there. It doesn't make sense. You won't find any super early stage startups there because they're not at the point of needing to process financial documents. And so we want to connect first, but we do believe that at some point there's going to be a data play here that we're going to end up getting a lot of interesting data about startups and how startups pitch. And over time, we'll have some longitudinal data about, which kind of startups saying what types of things ended up finding funding and from that which startups that found funding ended up exiting and our hope is that we'll be able to essentially build an algorithm that would make recommend investing recommendations based on hitting some of those key correlations so uh, I, i'm going to make some data up because we don't have this data yet but something that's like hey founders in the in the e econ- consumer packaged goods space that are specializing in pets are, you know, 10 times more likely to find an exit, something like that. That would give, if we knew that information and we had that information early on, we could cycle back through and theoretically we could find the inefficiencies
0: in investing ourselves and become early first movers. Awesome. Now on your actual platform, uh, I know you're talking about uh, pitch decks and and presenting, Um, it, it, are you providing resources for these founders to better improve their position as far as uh, the way that they uh, present themselves, or is it simply um, a, a template that they go through uh, in order to you know, put together their presentation for the investors to, investors to see how intense is that side of things? Right
1: now, it's just a template. It's a profile. Um, really, okay. we're going to market with kind of an MVP, a minimum viable product. But gotcha. improving the ability to pitch, improving the likely the those kind of traditional success metrics is is a big piece to kind of our second phase. Um, one of the things that I, I I know from dealing with investors is just they're sometimes quick to be dismissive. They they don't have a ton of bandwidth. They see a ton of businesses. They talk to a lot of founders, and and they have to be quick. And so one of the things that we want to be careful with is we just don't want our investor side to have a bad experience we don't want them to have to slog through 30 worthless profiles before they find one that's worth their time because that is going to bring down Uncrowd for us and it's going to make it worse for all the other founders because if people are just if investors are finding it a bad use of their time so it is really important to us that founders take their end seriously for the good of everyone so that when an investor does come to look through they are having a great experience and they're seeing one solid business after another that all makes sense, are
0: investable, are ready to go. So what are the qualifications of how I'm a founder in order to use your platform?
1: Right now, it, we're trying to keep it light, but we want to make it serious. So the probably mm-hmm. the single biggest thing that would keep out just anybody's uncle Joe from putting their crazy idea is you need to at least have a tax ID number, which essentially means you need to have been incorporated. And so you mm-hmm. need to the, the, you need to say like, I have committed enough in personally into this idea that I have made a business around it and I'm serious about it. Um, that, that's probably the biggest hurdle that would get in front of somebody actually onboarding on the founder side.
0: Okay. Now, as far as being underrepresented, uh, I mean, this can span from, uh latinx black founders to just women in general uh but it could also be a white male who is part of the lgbtq uh, community as well is that correct
1: totally correct it's even broader than that because we go we expand we expanded geography too so we you can be you can be a white guy in milwaukee like i am and you can be on the platform because frankly you are an underrepresented founder in this okay. space. It's not sure. really the, the core competency of the market, but it's who we're trying to find. We're trying to make it easier for investors to find people that are overlooked right now.
0: Okay. So I think it would be fair for us to at least ask this question. Uh, what is the definition to you of underrepresented?
1: Good question. So for me, underrepresented, uh, I focus on kind of those high level metrics uh, of representation, which for me is Non white first, or as a part of this, I should say, I'm trying to not find white guys in Boston, LA, San Francisco, or New York. And gotcha. Yes. And it is, and I know that that sounds like a broad thing. It's like, Forrest, come on, that's barely touching underrepresentation. And, but it just is for this specific ecosystem. It's crazy how that, that's one small group covers so much of the capital, so much of the deals.
0: And it was somewhere like 70% of, of most deals are are taken up by those people. Yep, that's exactly right. And so you're, you're saying, hey, the other 30% out here, I want to service you. Correct. Gotcha. Makes perfect sense. Uh, I think it's a really great uh, opportunity for the other 30% uh, to have a platform, have uh, higher visibility, and not get lost in the shuffle trying to uh, compete <laughs> with, uh, the, you know, the other 70% or to, to be standing next to them when they can stand over here and, you know, uh, have the light put on them. So I definitely see the vision uh, for what you're trying to accomplish.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're excited about it. I mean, we this is, I'm always, I've been in startups long enough to know kind of, it's a tough space. Most startups don't make it fundamentally. And, and so I'm, I'm, I hedge with my language a little bit, but at the end of the day, the simple thing I'm trying to answer for most of these founders is just how do I, how do I get funding? How do I connect with people? Because right now there isn't an easy answer for that. And in, when you look at kind of the the industries that have been disrupted right like usually the disruption comes from an easy answer to that if i were to go to you and say dj how do i find a job you'd say hey look you got to be on linkedin i'm not sure you're going to find your job through linkedin but you have to make sure you have an updated linkedin profile right now there isn't that ubiquitous place to go to when you say hey how do i find funding it usually starts with i don't know let me see if i know any rich
0: people i can introduce you to (laughs) right right That's very true. And so this this allows for the streamlining uh, and have a centralized location to do just that.
1: I'm hoping that at some point when someone asks you how you find funding, you say, you got to set up a profile on Uncrowd. I don't know that you're going to find your funding through there, but you got to do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the very least, you have to at least uh, put yourself out there. Uh, Here's a platform to go do it. Exactly. And and if you can have that market share uh, where everybody... That is, a founder says, well, if I don't go to Uncrowd, I'm doing myself a disservice, then I feel like that's the major win, to be so ingrained within the culture that people say, well, one of the places you have to be is Uncrowd. And then from there, you know, the, the rest is all about uh, what you manifest, and who you meet, and everything like that. But at least you know have the profile up uh, and present yourself to the world there. That's exactly right. I love it. I, I think it's uh, really great. Uh, opportunity. Uh, And of course, this would uh, service our audience. And of course, it would service other audiences. So I I don't want uh, people listening to say, well, you know, this isn't just for us. Well, it's it's really for all of us. It's really for everyone that's been looking uh, for capital and has been overlooked. And so uh, I think this is a really, uh, really vital conversation. And I'm glad that we're having it here.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. I think there's there's tons of there's plenty of room and there's plenty of capital for all of us to find the funding we need. We just need to to work together, honestly.
0: Now I know we started off the show talking about uh, Milwaukee and some of the discrepancies that are happening there. Uh, do do have you seen uh, from your experience or just working with different founders? Have you seen why there's such a big discrepancy uh, for, uh, I guess, Black people? Just throw it out there. Yeah. Uh, in Milwaukee. And I'm not asking you to speak to uh, the Black experience in any way. Sure. But I'm just sure. wondering, what have you been hearing on the ground uh, while he's been there?
1: It's it's tough. It, it It's not good. Milwaukee has problems with race. Um, the... I, there was recently a report naming Milwaukee the worst city in America to be blacked, and what took second place in that was Racine, Wisconsin, which is a city just to our south. And so these mm. are these are real these are real data points. Um, for me, my experience directly has been mostly in terms of witnessing segregation, witnessing wealth inequality. That is mm-hmm. that that's my experience with it um it is the the wealth discrepancy in milwaukee is really bad um the what gets highlighted a lot is the segregation i think it's a little visually easier to see Mm -hmm. um, a little visually easier to understand milwaukee as a city unfortunately you can probably color with a crayon for the most part where different groups live and and that has been that way for a long time um but the The wealth inequality is really what stands out to me as kind of the the, the biggest hurdle here.
0: Well, you know, if you do know anyone that's in Milwaukee uh, that would like to come on uh, the show, we have an open invitation. Uh, as long as they uh, own their own business, uh, I, I look uh, they're they're more than happy to come on and, and talk about Milwaukee, talk about their business, uh, because I really I'm really interested uh, and getting to that root problem, uh, and seeing how, uh, as a network, as a podcast, as an investor myself, you know, how, how can I help in even in a small way? So if you, if you know anyone, please let them know, uh, that we would love to speak with them and, and talk to them in the future.
1: Yeah, I will. I, I, I know quite a few people. I actually, in, in kind of knowing I was going to be coming on here, I was trying to kind of, look within my network about who I thought would be, be relevant for that. And I definitely have some names I'll pass on to you that I, I think would really be able to kind of share their own experience and talk about the good they're doing. Um, by, awesome. Awesome. by the nature of kind of the circles I run with, which is startups and particularly bringing di- more venture capital to startups and for underrepresented founders, I end up running, frankly, in a pretty optimistic circle even for the people of color, the black people right. who look at kind of yeah. who, are, who are driving forward and moving and working on change. Um, and so what I, for the sake of kind of bringing something tangible to this conversation, I did talk to my wife is a PhD student at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. She's in the Urban Education Doctoral Program for Curriculum and Instruction. And one of her colleagues I know is, does a, a lot of research specifically into race, She's, she's a Black woman, and she specifically is looking to leave Milwaukee when, when she's finished her program. So to kind of at least give something tangible to this conversation, I talked to her, and I was trying to pick her brain a little bit about, like as somebody who wants to leave, what, what's really driving that for you? To her, her perspective on this was that she does still see the optimism. She sees the change on the horizon for Milwaukee she also has to live here right now and she has a a black son that has to go to school and she feel, and right now she has to make a decision about whether he is going to go to a good school or a bad school. And that also means is she going to go to a white school or a black school? And, and she can't reconcile that right now, even if Milwaukee at some point in the near future starts to improve from where it is right now. So I thought that that would be valuable to share with your, your audience.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes it's good to uh, sometimes it's good to leave the city and then just, you know, invest, you know, from outside the city. Sometimes it's good to stay. And it just kind of depends on who it is. But thank you uh, so much for sharing, uh, sharing that information. Um, something else I was going to say is when you have these uh, part of your platform as these uh uh, founders who happen to be black, uh, as they're looking for funding, uh, please make sure you you think of us and recommend that they come on the show to highlight their business. Uh, so then they can attract uh, either additional investors or additional partners. Sometimes what I found is just having the right strategic partners can go a long way to the success of a business, uh, alongside the capital. The capital's you know great too. But sometimes having the right strategic partners uh, can go a long way as well.
1: Oh, absolutely! I I I will totally do that. I think that I appreciate you saying that. I think the more visibility that founders get, the more exposure founders get, the more likely they are to find that investor that believes in their believes in them and their
0: business. Uh, definitely. Now, so a lot of the founders that you're seeing, it, it, it's not just Milwaukee. So you're you're really talking to founders all over. Uh, besides, like you said, those four key areas all over the United States, is that correct?
1: That's the goal, yeah. So right now, we most of our networks here in Milwaukee, and we're early on in this product, We the MVP is not even fully built yet. Um, okay. So we're just generating um, early beta, beta use and beta interest at this point. But we are talking to founders all over that are excited about it, about excited about having something more tangible that feels like, progress toward helping in this funding issue um we we're excited well personally i'm i'm more a marketing guy so i'm i'm not building the product but i'm excited to actually have it tangible and ready to bring to market and actually start sharing it with people and letting people really dig into it and see what it's all about
0: so uh for founders who may be listening to this particular episode and they want to work with you uh what is the process of working with you and uh, when can they expect to go from beta to fully launch?
1: Yeah, so we are literally days—I'll say weeks—just to make hedge a little bit away from MVP being fully viable. Um, we okay. we were we encountered some authorization issues with users that we just didn't want to mess around with. Um, we wanted to make sure everyone's data was safe, so that kind of held held up the product a little bit. But if you go to uncrowd.io, go there, sign up at minimum. There's an email sign up right now. Sign up for the email. We'll make sure we let you know when it's ready to roll.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Uh, Everybody who's listening, if you see this as a great opportunity, and if you're a founder, I don't see why you wouldn't see this as a great opportunity to at least attract investors because uh, of course it's not any type of obligation. Is it? If, if I'm part of your platform and an investor, uh, wants to give me funds, but I decide well i 'm going to go in a different direction with another platform. I have the opportunity to say no right
1: you're not married to us at all uh we are super founder friendly you- con- uh, the the best case scenario we find you some money worst case scenario nothing happens there you're they're, you're not obligated for anything.
0: That's awesome. So, yeah, I I don't see where where the issue would be of, at the very least, let me present myself to investors, see who these investors are and see if they're they're They are the investors that I would want to work with. And so uh, if you're a founder, definitely uh, head over and we'll leave the information in the show notes uh, for you to access that information. Uh, Force, thank you so much for coming on the Black Equity Podcast. Uh, is there anything you want to leave with? Any uh, closing thoughts or closing remarks before we head out?
1: No, I, I really appreciate you having me on and letting me tell this story. Um, I, <clears throat> and personally, I guess from my side, I, I really am optimistic about Milwaukee. I see a ton of change. I, even in the 10 years that I've been here, I've seen a ton of progress. I, I believe in the city of Milwaukee, but I understand why people don't.
0: Well, the, the thing is, when, when these articles start coming out, uh, it's, it's a huge uh, wake-up call. And so usually when things like that happen, that means it's on the cusp of, well, time to go in the other direction. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if, if somebody was ever looking to you know invest in the city, I have a few friends in Milwaukee uh, as well. If anybody's looking to invest in the city, I think that now would actually be the, the perfect time uh to go to Milwaukee and figure it out and that's that's why I'm here uh to figure it out and uh touch down there and uh wh- what are some good restaurants for us when I, when I get to Milwaukee where should I be going to eat
1: oh that's a good question so I'm I'm a vegan, so people usually hate okay, asking me I, I, I for could, restaurant could, recommendations. But
0: I can do vegan.
1: Okay. So if you like good vegan food, there's a really great restaurant called Celesta, um, which oh, is in the okay. east side of Milwaukee. And if you like vegan junk food, there's an awesome <clears throat> sausage place, vegan sausage place on the south side called the called Vanguard. Both of those are two of my
0: favorites. All right. Sounds like I'll be going to Vanguard then. I'm on on my way, Vanguard. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Forrest, for coming on the Black Equity Podcast. Hey, the doors are open. Uh, If you want to come back and let us know about the progress, if you have any success stories, uh, you know, I'm a little biased. It Particularly with Black founders, if you have any um, success stories, let us know and you know let them come on the show or you come back on the show. Uh, we would love to hear that story and, and uh, keep up with your journey.
1: I appreciate you that, DJ. Thank you. With with any luck, I'll have plenty of very successful Black founders to funnel your way. That's that's my goal too. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you for us for coming on the show. We look forward to seeing the growth of your company. We respect the mission for helping underserved founders find the necessary capital. If you are interested in working with Uncrowd, make sure you look at the show notes and reach out to Uncrowd and let them know that you're interested in working with them. And I'm sure uh, they'll be able to get right back to you and uh, work alongside you. For others who are looking for other alternatives, keep listening to the Black Equity Podcast. Keep listening to our show. We're going to have a lot of great opportunities Uh, for black founders, uh, black owners, uh, for us to find the necessary capital and the necessary things for our culture. Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast and make sure you tune back in on Monday for another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Black Equity Podcast. I am inviting you to join the exclusive Sip and Share Wine Club, which offers monthly and quarterly memberships available. Deliveries of two, four, or six bottles of sweet, dry, or both wines right to your door at a 10% discount. Only 100 monthly members accept it. Begin enjoying all the privileges and benefits that go along with belonging to the club. There is no fee to join. You only pay the cost of your wine plus tax and shipping. Two wines is $38 plus tax and shipping. Four wines is $76 plus tax and shipping. And six wines is $114 plus taxes and shipping. Once again, join the Sip and Share Wine Club. This is your invite. Only 100 monthly members accept it.